For listening to this podcast, it's safe to say that you love technology, but technology can sometimes get really expensive, especially when it comes to cell phones. Because not only do you have to buy the phone itself, but you also have to buy a carrier plan needed to really use the phone. Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, these are the four main carrier companies fighting over you and your wallet. And these companies are going to the absolute extremes to entice you to join their plans. Some offering free calls and texts, others offering free data across the board. These deals are getting crazy. Joining us today to talk about the price wars that are redefining the digital wireless carrier landscape is Stephen Stokels, the CEO of Freedom Pop, the first company to offer completely free carrier plans. Welcome to the Software and Electronics Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Michael Sartini. Let's get right into it. Now, uh, you've got a really interesting background, and I would love if you could share with our listeners your journey thus far and how you came to become the CEO of Freedom Pop. Yeah, so I, I got a very unique background, as you allude to. Um, both big company, a senior executive position in, in, in big companies, as well as uh, founding startups. Uh, and if you go back to about 10 years ago, I was the number two guy in British Telecom, which is sort of the Verizon of the UK, uh, massive uh, wireless and broadband carrier in the UK. I, I worked directly for the CEO there, I was in charge of all their innovation. And I'd kind of come up uh, fast track through corporate ranks uh, and left there at the height, you know, as, as the youngest sort of senior vice president in the organization, I left to start my own internet company uh, about nine years ago. Uh, and I, at the time, it was an interactive video browser uh, meant to really enable small businesses to rapidly uh, file through different uh, candidates and improve the recruiting process. But unbeknownst to me, what it turned out to be is a speed dating app. So before I knew it, I was, uh, you know, 10 million speed dating users and the CEO of a dating application which again, wasn't my uh, desired career trajectory, but what it did do is put me in the, in the real gut, in the, the armpit of the internet, the dating space, and coupled with my big company, uh, my big company wireless telecom uh, experience uh, was a real valuable sort of asset. I sold that company uh, for a decent return in 2011. Uh, and then Freedom Pop was really the convergence of big company wireless, everything I learned in the internet space, we call it a webco, sort of a, a telco and you know, it's all digital leverages all internet technologies, acquisition, uh, conversion, et cetera. Even the business model itself is freemium, uh, which is unheard of in the wireless space. But that really sort of brings together my, my background, which, like I said, is somewhat unique, having sort of very executive uh, level experience in a big company, as well as successfully starting uh, several startups as well. Definitely. I, I find you're, you're just such an expert in so many different fields. Let's touch on the wireless field specifically for a second. Would you mind providing us some context into the last few years of price drops in the mobile carrier world? Yeah, absolutely. So if you, if you look at the price drops, uh, we started this uh, Freedom Pop about five and a half, six years ago. Uh, prices were significantly higher. And if you looked even on the wholesale level, where you buy data uh, from carriers, LTE was just taken off and it was you know, $10, $15 a gigabyte. What's happened in the last five years is the cost uh, has really come down significantly, which is projected, right? As the networks uh, get more efficient, uh, new technologies come in like small cell uh, and the overall load on the networks increases. The actual cost per user has come down. Uh, and so what kind of happened about three years ago uh, and Freedom Pop has been attributed uh, some credit in, in kicking off price wars. Uh, we were the kind of first to come in with Significantly low prices, a free plan uh, for low usage. Uh, it pissed off T-Mobile significantly. They, they actually um, 
took a couple pages out of our playbook a few years ago, uh, and they started competing pretty aggressively on price or the uncarrier thing. They copied our data rollover. That was one of the first things they kind of launched. Uh, we, we invented data rollover. Uh, they sort of copied that and started lumping that in with plans. And, and Sprint, at the same time, was undergoing new management with SoftBank and Marcelo uh, coming in as a CEO. Sprint's network uh, was admittedly the worst of the carriers. Uh, and so they had a pretty um, clear mandate to compete on price. And so what kind of happened over the last really two years is you saw significant increases on price and it took took fold in two ways. One, prices actually have come down uh, about 15 or 20% over that period. So if you look at the ARPUs on carriers are actually down some. But then in addition, the other part of the equation is the data has gone from limits. You know, it used to be four or five gig limits to unlimited for the most part across the board. Uh, and so you've gotten more data at a lower price. But if you look at the actual price that a consumer pays per gigabyte of data, that's where you've got significant drops uh, because you have, you know, the price on the a plan might have been 60 bucks historically and now it's 55 or 50. Um, but the price per gig used to be 12 or 13 bucks and now it's two or three. So th that's really kind of how it's flattened out recently. I think the T-Mobile Sprint merger uh, that's proposed will probably stabilize price even further. Uh, but you have seen some nice price drops uh, for the consumer in the last few years. Definitely. So you say T-Mobile kind of copied you in a way with their uncarrier program. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I don't think they would deny some of this. Uh, we, we know some of the execs at T-Mobile, they're very complimentary of us. So this isn't meant to uh, criticize. But I think, uh, for example, if you think back to the uncarrier initiatives, uh, in the early days, there was an initiative called uh, Data Rollover. This is before the unlimited plans, uh, where if you had a 10 gig plan and you only use five, you would roll over five gigs. Um, data rollover, other initiatives like that, uh, Digits, which T-Mobile launched a couple of years ago. Th these were all value-added services that Freedom Pop sold. Uh, and the reason, you know, we have a free offering. You get free data, free voice text from Freedom Pop, and we make our money by selling these value-added services. So data rollover was one of our most successful value-added services. We would charge, uh, I think, a buck ninety-nine for users to roll over unused data. Uh, we we actually showed that. Uh, to the T-Mobile guys, uh, trying to get a wholesale deal with them. They loved it. And a couple months later, they launched it. Uh, that's an example of them sort of replicating functionality. And, and by the way, it's not something we are negative against. I mean, when you look across the fact that the entire industry now has adopted data rollover, that gives us a lot of pride. Uh, when you look at the fact that T-Mobile kind of launched digits, which is the ability to have uh, multiple phone numbers, uh, was something we invented, that gives us a lot of pride. I mean, ultimately, our objective is to disrupt and to change a massive market and as a small company, the way you do that is getting people to copy you and trying to outcompete you. Uh, and so that's really our desired impact. Yeah, definitely. You guys seem to really be making a lot of noise in the space and even getting other big companies to sort of take some of your work. That's, that's really cool. Could you elaborate into sort of, you know, the reemergence of unlimited data plans coming into the space? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, carriers only want to drop prices so much. So what happens is you start to compete on data. So if you don't want to go below 40 bucks a month because your ARPUs and your revenues start to get cannibalized, that 40 bucks used to get you five gigs and then you want to keep it at 40, so it's now 10 gigs. And then you get to a point where, uh, I think Sprint actually took the gloves off first and said, screw it, we're going unlimited. And so they start to compete on data and it's gone now up to the point where it's unlimited. Uh, and again, the positive effect of that is the entire market now has gone unlimited, whether it be Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, and Timo. <clears throat> and so the consumers now are, used to unlimited in the US market. Uh, it's even forced Freedom Pop, which has trouble with unlimited because we buy data from the carriers uh, to come out with an unlimited brand called Unreal Mobile, which is unlimited plans. But the whole market's gone there. It's better for the consumer. Uh, I think ultimately 
the sustainability of unlimited is something that's been raised. Uh, so you'll probably see caps uh, on the unlimited usage. And right now, you even have, even the, the most aggressive unlimited plans actually do have caps. It's generally like 20, 25 gigs. Uh, but you'll see, call it gimmicks uh, with the unlimited. But I think uh, the reality is unlimited was a way to really kind of decrease pricing. Uh, without decreasing ARPU. What do you think really led to Sprint going unlimited? I feel like that's a pretty bold step. Is that a result of the price wars or something else? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it is a result or call it uh, the evolution of the price wars. I mean, ultimately, like I said, you can only compete. These guys, Sprint, T-Mobile, Verizon, ATT, only want to drop prices so much before it starts to really cannibalize the revenue. And so I think Sprint, which has the weakest of the networks, and they're, they're gonna, the first to admit it, it's something that I think is kind of common knowledge, had to find other dimensions to compete on. They have a ton of spectrum. They have a ton of capacity. It's underutilized. So they said, let's just go unlimited uh, and see what happens. And so I think Sprint's probably had the most aggressive offers. And part of that is because they have to compensate for what the public believes is the weakest network. And, and there's validity. It is arguably historically been the weakest network, although it's getting better. Yeah, definitely. And what do you think of the new merger between T-Mobile and Sprint? <clears throat> That's another good question because I think uh, there's pluses and minuses. Look, from a operator who sells wireless service, uh, I can say it's a, it's a plus because having less con having the two biggest competitors on price uh, being T-Mobile and Sprint, those were the two lowest cost carriers. Merge does stabilize pricing a little bit. So from a wireless provider side, I like it. Again, the, the inverse of that is from a consumer perspective, I'm not going to go and kind of say it's the, it's the best thing for consumers because I do believe, and I think a lot of industry experts do believe that it, it does stabilize pricing. Uh, that said, there's another element, which is network quality. Uh, and Sprint and T-Mobile are making a big deal out of the combination being able to build out a much better 5G network. Uh, and I think that also has validity to it. So I think you, you will have better networks, right? Better network between Sprint and T-Mobile, meaning faster speeds, more coverage than either can do in isolation. Uh, again, the downside is it probably doesn't meet as much price competition. Do you see any other big news in the space recently? Well, I mean, most of the space is kind of preoccupied by Sprint and T-Mobile because depending on how that goes, there may be other uh, shakeouts. So I think if that deal goes through, uh, you'll, you'll probably see some other news, uh, some other big moves. Uh, there's been speculation around whether that deal will require uh, both Sprint and T-Mobile to spin off uh, sort of a, a fourth company you know, a prepaid, like spinoff boost, for example. Uh, and if it doesn't go through, I think you'll see some of the cable guys who are MVNOs right now, like Comcast, but really network operators at the core, uh, look to potentially come in and buy one of those guys. So, so one way or the other, I think there's consolidation coming. Um, current trajectory is four carriers to three carriers, and then maybe a fourth uh, MVNO, a massive MVNO being split off as part of the regulatory concessions. Uh, the other trajectories, you actually see consolidation um, where cable companies start to eat up network, uh, wireless networks. Mm -hmm, definitely. Now, I, I find Freedom Pop to be such an interesting sort of provider in this space because you guys, uh, from what I understand, over 50% of your active users actually pay you nothing. How, how does that sort of work? Yeah, absolutely. So, again, Freedom Pop was kind of founded on the premise of, like, everybody should have basic wireless access. Uh, you have a swath of the population, 30 million users still on feature phones. They don't have data. You have underserved communities across the country where the things we take for granted uh, are on, on this side of the digital divide uh, are actually very difficult uh, for some areas. So what we, we were founded to say, look, if you give everybody a half a gig of data, 
200 voice minutes, 500 texts, that's enough to get by. That's enough for uh, a teenager to be able to kind of download homework and do his stuff. There's enough for somebody to find a job. So we, we were trying to provide a big enough package that's sufficient where everybody could sort of get on the right side of the digital divide. Uh, now, making that work without government subsidies and making that in a private model requires us to also sell a bunch of additional services and also make sure we can effectively upsell users who want more than the free. And so we've always had targets of about 50-50, uh, meaning we, we, we are looking to have about 50% of our users not pass a penny. And right now, it's about 55% it's about of our users don't pass a penny. They're, they're getting genuinely, legitimately free service. Uh, and that's how it should be. I mean, that's the objective of the company. And at the same time, we've got about 45% who pays for either a heavier data plan uh, or some value-added service like uh, anonymous browsing, VPN, data rollover, uh, additional phone numbers, et cetera. And the beauty is those who are paying us uh, are paying us enough where it more than subsidizes uh, the guys who aren't paying. And what was like the original business decision to go in that route? Yeah, so that's, that's another good question. And if you, if you go back to the origins of the company, the first investor we ever took on uh, was Nicholas Zenstrom, who was the co-founder of Skype. And, and we kind of looked at it and said, look, we, we have sort of a, what I'd argue is an altruistic objective here to sort of be on the right side of the digital divide. Uh, and in Skype and other sort of internet models, we have a proven sort of somewhat new digital business model in freemium uh, that works. And so we basically got together and, and again, uh, you know, with, with Nicholas, who was an investor in my last company as well, kind of pitched the notion of, look, we can make freemium work by leveraging a lot of the digital technologies that we learned in the, uh, the online dating space, a lot of the conversion. I mean, if you think about online dating is really freemium, kind of view profile for free, but if you want to sort of engage, you pay. Uh, so we had experience there and we were pretty confident we could make it work uh, in uh, a massive, you know, hundred billion, multi hundred billion dollar market like wireless. Uh, and so we basically launched under that hypothesis. Uh, and to be honest, it took us about six months to 12 months to really figure it out. Uh, even our, our Series A investment was tranched uh, between certain metrics. If we had hit them, we got the second tranche. And if we didn't, we would have been out of business. And how do you really start competing with these big carriers? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question um, because when you look at it, I mean, big carriers are spending billions per quarter on marketing. <clears throat> and so when you talk about competing with them, uh, it's on multiple levels. On, on one hand, uh, you have to out-innovate them. And, and I think uh, the fact that they've adopted a lot of our value-added services and sort of our approaches is, is one way in which we uh, have sort of led on the innovation side. Uh, on another level, it's starting to encroach further and further. So we uh, are all digital meaning all our acquisition, we have thousands of online uh, distribution channels. Uh, but the reality is in this space, still in 2018, most of the consumption is about 80% is done offline. So to really sort of shake up the big carriers, you start, you need to move from offline to online, or excuse me, from online to offline, which is kind of contrary to where everybody else is trying to go. So we've actually started to move from online to offline, specifically uh, going national uh, with Target. Um, we're going national with Best Buy. Uh, and offline channels and really starting to encroach on the territories where carriers sort of do a lot of their distribution. Uh, and then the third element really is, look, at the end of the day, if you're one one hundredth the size of Verizon, you're a massive company, but also having an impact on the market, like I just alluded to, isn't necessarily being the only provider, but it's it's impacting the market through innovation, et cetera. And what we've actually done uh, is we've started to take some of our proprietary technology 
where we're able to kind of acquire customers online very effectively, or we're able to convert uh, subscribers uh, using machine learning algorithms to very precisely uh, understand what value-added service is best for the right subscriber. So we've started to license this technology to carriers outside the U.S. Because uh, when we look at it, we say, look, as long as we're sort of making life better for consumers, enabling lower prices because they can convert in other services or innovation, we're more than happy to actually take that capability and license it to carriers, big carriers to use. And so if you look in Italy, the biggest carrier in Italy is uh, one of our clients in Greece. Uh, we're signing somebody up in the U.K. So on one hand, in the U.S., I think we're starting to encroach and, and obviously um, through distribution and more and more mass distribution uh, start to move in on, on big carrier turf. And on the same notion, outside of the U.S., uh, starting to license our capabilities to enable and to power some of the uh, the world's biggest carriers is also in play. Do you think some of the other big carriers uh, in the U.S. specifically are going to start maybe switching to more freemium plans? No. So that, that, that's a good question. And I think the beauty and the defensibility of our model is that a carrier will never really switch to full freemium because of the cannibalistic effect on their revenue. So to have a freemium plan, a, a zero cost plan for a carrier, uh, presents a lot of potential cannibalization, uh, meaning they can lose significant revenue streams, especially if you look at a carrier like, take any of them. I mean, Verizon's got 100 million users. They offered a free plan and 10 million users went in on that plan. That would cost billions uh, in revenue. And so there's been a line in the sand with carriers, for the most part, to go all the way to freemium. They'll offer gimmicks, they'll offer a free month in some cases, et cetera, but they're very sort of conscious not to really risk uh, their top line. And so the beauty of that, I mean, and that's really part of what a disruptive technology does. It puts a, a big player in a bit of a bind uh, where they can't really replicate you without massive you know, impacts to their revenue. And so the beauty is we're, we're sort of the freemium. Nobody's ever been able to kind of come in on the freemium play, a big carrier. Um, and that is a defensibility we have. And the, the other part of it is, like I said, we have some pretty strong digital capabilities. I mean, our customer acquisition costs are about one fiftieth of what the carriers are because of what we do. Uh, we, we convert users uh, in a very sophisticated way. You know, we, we don't offer this, a user may look the same to uh, Verizon. You know, a guy who's used uh, two gigs and he's halfway through a cycle to us is going to look totally different based on digital attributes. And that may that same user may get data rollover in one case, and they may get um, compression in another, so they don't go over, and they may get an upsell to a heavier data plan in another. We, we give the we have a lot of machine learning that sort of makes sure we, we get the right offer to the right person, and that really makes the model work. Uh, there's been some copycats in the UK, uh, and they can't convert more than 10% of their, their base from free to paid versus the 45 to 50% we have. So again, there's, there's a lot of elements why this uh, freemium model uh, is very differentiated and sustainable. And, and I think if you look across the market, the big guys can't move there, and a lot of guys who have tried to copy it just don't have the underlying capability to make the model work. Yeah, that is really interesting. So you say the only people that are really trying to copy the freemium model are just these very few companies down in the UK and that's it? Yeah, I mean, look, there's been one in the US. Uh, there's been two in the US, actually, um, that got some notoriety, but they haven't been able to make it work. Like I said, I know for you know one of them tried to sell to us at the end when they were going bankrupt. And if you looked at their numbers, their conversion, they, were, they had 92% of users that were free, uh, despite having the almost the exact same proposition as Freedom Pop. And the reason is because they didn't understand the underlying capability and uh, portfolio of value-added services and innovative services that are needed to really make uh, the model work. And you've got to give you know, different customers different services. You, know, you may be the kind of customer who's never going to pay for more data, no matter what, but you might be willing to pay a buck ninety-nine a month for compression when you get within 10% of your data plan to make sure you don't go over. 
Whereas another customer may be absolutely willing to pay an extra 10 bucks uh, for a heavier data plan and not worry about it. And yet another customer uh, who doesn't use that much, da much data, but has one month where he uses a lot, may be willing to pay for da uh, data rollover or whatever it may be. So there's a lot of, uh, under the hood of, of Freedom Pop, there's a lot of technology, uh, uh, machine learning and expertise that really goes into getting conversion rates, you know, close to 50% that go from free to paid, uh, conversion rates that are four to five times what just an organic rate would be if we didn't have all that. And, and I think a lot of these smaller companies kind of learned that the hard way. Uh, there was one big company, I'll just wrap it up, but one big company, three in the UK, uh, tried to launch the exact proposition we've got in the UK, and, and they also sort of failed. They, they, their conversion rate never got higher than 10%. So kind of, it speaks to a lot of the underlying capability that makes the model work. Definitely. All right. Well, that's all the questions I have for you today. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on? No, you said it'd be 20 minutes and it's, I see the ticker at 20 minutes and 27 seconds. So I got to give you some, some credit. You're, you're extremely uh, prophetic and precise. Good at what you do here. Thank you, sir. When I'm talking to an expert like you, I got to make sure I'm on the ball just as much as you are. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I enjoyed it. Have a good one. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's Software and Electronics Podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Michael Sartini.